Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, choir. Appreciate that. Not only does she make our Wednesday night suppers, but she sings as well. That's incredible. Thank you. To know God more. Do you want to know God more today? All this, you know, purposes of the church that we've been talking about for the last five months, it doesn't mean anything without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the grace that God shows us and the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Something Brad and I talk a lot about, Davy's dad, just our personal relationship. Do you yearn for the presence of God in your life? Do you come to worship expecting to meet with the high and holy God, eager to bring him a sacrifice of praise each and every week? I hope that we will yearn for God more and more in our personal walk because that really has to be the foundation for any healthy church. And now Davey's on that road to discipleship. We're so proud of you, man. And I didn't recognize all your family that's here, but thank you so much to, would you mind standing if you're here today in support of Davey and you, you came today, would you just stand please and let us welcome you. Thank you for being here today. Awesome. It's wonderful to have so much family close by and in town, and uh, Aubrey and Brad are, are unicorns. They're Nashville natives, and they know this town, and uh, I say I'm from Nashville, but you know, I grew up in Franklin, and uh, Brad really knows this town like the back of his hand, but now he lives in Franklin, and I live in Nashville, so I feel like maybe I have a little more street cred now than he does, so we'll see. Well, last week we introduced this topic of ministry, the, the, the fifth purpose of the church as we examine what does God want for us as Woodmont Baptist Church to be and to do going forward, and I believe that God is calling us to minister, that the Bible tells us that we are to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus. And I feel like last week's introduction may have been a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. I probably bit off a little more than I could chew in that, that passage trying to explain what ministry is, but I'm really grateful for the thoughtful feedback and the questions from our sermon listening team. I got seven people who uh, helped me uh, give some, some clarity to the sermon on Monday. If you're not on Facebook, uh, I, I do a little Facebook live video at 2 o'clock p.m. on Monday where I kind of get a chance to unpack some of the, the things that I wish I could have said in the sermon. So if you missed that, two o'clock tomorrow, watch for that. We really just kind of started last week to scratch the surface of this notion that we as God's people now on, on this side of the cross, in on this part of history, we as God's people are to be the hands and feet of Christ in a world that desperately needs it. We are to be about the business, therefore, of meeting needs and healing hurts as we encounter them day after day. And we said that all Christians are called to ministry. All Christians are gifted and called by God to minister to the needs of others, both inside the church, building up our fellowship by serving one another, and also outside the church, being salt and light in a world that really needs them. And we mentioned that ministering to others is actually proof of our relationship with God. If you long to know God more, just like the choir's saying, then you will minister to the needs of others. It's inherent in being a child of God. Ministry is not some nice afterthought to be, being a Christian. It's a litmus test. It's a proof of our love of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus himself said that when we minister to the needs of the poor, the homeless, the sick, and the prisoners, 
that we are in fact serving him. So in an attempt to understand the purpose of the church that we call ministry, we're going to look at a story this morning that I'm sure will be familiar to many of you, even if you did not grow up in church, if you have not attended church for a long time, I'm sure many of you will know this story, the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's stand now as I read from Luke chapter 10 in honor of God's word, if you're able to. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, this is one of the most famous passages in the scripture, and there are countless ministries. If you Google Samaritan, you will find hundreds and hundreds of different parachurch organizations and ministries with the title Samaritan somewhere, with the word Samaritan somewhere in the title. There are tons of paintings, sculptures, movies, music, books, poems that are all based on this powerful story. But I would ask us all to look at these words of Jesus through a fresh lens this morning and really ask, what is God telling us today, both as a church and individually, what does the Lord have for us in this text today? Let's unpack it. Let's start at the beginning. You have a a lawyer. He's an expert in the Jewish law. He's a a well-known scholar in the Old Testament. He comes and he confronts Jesus with a trick question. It's actually a good question, but it's asked with a bad motive. You see, this guy's not really trying to learn from Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus in a legal conundrum. What must I do to inherit eternal life according to the law? Jesus was a rabbi. He was also a scholar in the Old Testament. He actually wrote it. He actually was the embodiment of it. He did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And what does this lawyer's question show us? 
What does this trick question show us about the lawyer? Well, you can tell that he believes that eternal life is a matter of doing something, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? For, for the, the Old Testament Jews, so much of their salvation was a works-based theology. It was about doing things in order to gain life. You know, if I had been in Jesus' shoes here, I'm sure I would have called him out on it. Oh, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the free gift of salvation that he offers by grace through faith and put your trust in him and you will be saved. Just like a good pastor would, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't walk him down the Roman road verses. He doesn't invite him to receive him as Lord and Savior. As he often does, Jesus answers the lawyer's question by asking another question. You're an expert. What does the law say? How do you interpret it? You've spent most of your life studying these commandments that are in the, the Hebrew scriptures. What do they say is essential for eternal life? Wait, wait, why does Jesus point him to the law? The law can't save us. We know that from all of Paul's letters, all the good theology in Romans and Galatians. The law is just a tutor here to guide us, right? Why does he point him back to the law? It can't actually bring us the eternal life that this guy's looking for. Why didn't Jesus explain God's plan of salvation and say, now just receive me as Lord and Savior and come down and check the box on the card with Bobby Dunn and we'll baptize you and that'll be it. You'll have eternal life. So the lawyer answers Jesus' question about what the law says with the classic Sunday school answer. He knows what the right answer is. He tells Jesus the two commandments that most Hebrew scholars of this day agreed were the key commandments, the two most important and essential commandments in the Hebrew scriptures. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6.5, one of the, the most famous passages in all of the Old Testament. For Jews, they would have known it forwards and backwards. It's called the Shema. Orthodox Jews still recite the Shema twice a day, every day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then the lawyer correctly follows up the Shema with Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Miss Barbara Voller taught our children that. Just Was that last week that she uh, sat right here and said, love God, love people? It's simple, right? Even kids can understand this. Love God, love people. But here's the thing about these two commandments. No one does them. No one. Every human who's ever walked the earth has violated these two key commandments over and over and over. We've all failed to love God with every part of our being. Even calling this story the good Samaritan, what did Jesus say when they said, good teacher? He cut him off right there and said, don't call me good. No one is good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the, the lawyer doesn't understand. 
No one does them. We've all fallen for the lie that Eve fell for back in the garden. We've all chased after the wrong things, like a dog chasing a car that he wouldn't know what to do with if he got it. We've made good things, family, work, marriage, church even. We've made those good things into ultimate things and have become idolaters. John Calvin says the the heart is an idol factory, just churning out idols one after the other. To love God with all of our heart means to delight in him above anything else, that our deepest joy and strongest affections would be deeply rooted in God. To love God with all our mind means that our thought life is dominated by thoughts of God. To love God with all of our strength means that all of our abilities and all of our faculties are used in the employ of adoring God, of worshiping Him constantly with our entire being. Does that still sound like a simple lesson for children? And what about loving our neighbors as ourselves? Even if we have a hard time loving ourselves sometimes in our core, we still think about our own comfort and our own interest far more than we think of the interests of others and the comfort of others. You know, in a culture that continues to trend towards privacy and autonomy with, you know, iPhones and iPods and iMacs, it's all about me, how often do we sacrificially and selflessly pour ourselves out for someone else, especially for someone that we feel doesn't deserve it? or someone that we may not like. You know, it's, some laws in the Old Testament are pretty easy to keep. You know, for the Jewish people, they were known as the people that didn't eat pork. Don't eat pork, okay, got it, we can do that. And then don't murder, okay, got it. Bob Buckner in the parenting class today said, uh, you know, I'm not a parenting expert, but the Bible doesn't have a whole lot of real detailed parenting explanations, but pretty sure you shouldn't kill your kids. <laughs> Thanks, Bob, <laughs> got it. Got it, won't do it. I can handle that commandment. That one's okay with me to follow. But when you really think about these two principles, love God, love people as yourself, love God with all of your being, when you really examine your ability to keep these two commandments, I think you'll see that we all fall short time and time again on a daily basis. No matter how holy someone is, no matter how long they've been a Christian, no matter how well they know the Bible, no matter how many times they've been to church, we all fall woefully short of these two commandments. We can be so selfish, right? Sin can be so enticing. Our flesh can be so weak. And our hearts, again, as Calvin said, just keep churning out idols. But these laws were never meant to bring us eternal life. They were meant to show us that we need to be saved. Only perfection will meet God's standard of holiness. Only perfection will enter into eternal life. What I'm saying is you have to be perfect to go to heaven. I told that to some teenagers one time. They said, then we're all up a creek. How in the world will we ever get to heaven? I'm not perfect. Well, by the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ. These laws were meant to show us that we need a savior. 
when the lawyer tells these laws to Jesus, he says, yep, that's it. You got it. Go do those two things perfectly, and you will live eternally close to the heart of God the Father. But verse 29 is such a tragic verse. It reveals this guy's fallen fleshly heart. It says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is heartbreaking first because we know that he cannot justify himself no matter how hard he tries. He's a lawyer. He's spent his entire life trying to get these laws correct over and over again. He's trying to convince himself and everyone else around him that he was right, that he was okay, that he was able to follow the law perfectly. But his answer when Jesus said, yeah, go, go love God, go love your neighbor, You're gonna, you got it. it. It should have been, instead of, now who's my neighbor? It should have been, I can't. I can't. Man, I've tried over and over again to love God with all that I am. I've tried to love other people as I love myself, and I can't do it, Jesus. I keep falling on my face every time I try to love God with all that I am. I keep getting distracted by the things of this world. I can't do it. I need a savior. I need the perfection that can only come from another place outside of myself. Help me, Jesus, to love God with my whole being. Help me, Jesus, to love my neighbors selflessly and sacrificially. But his heart's not there yet. The law hasn't convinced him that he's fallen short of God's holy perfection standard. The law hasn't shown him his need yet for a savior and a righteousness not of his own making. He's convinced himself that he can do it. If only Jesus will help narrow that definition of neighbor down for him, maybe he could actually do it. So instead of crying out for salvation, he asks, and who is my neighbor? If only Jesus could simply define that second great commandment into terms that would make it actually attainable through human striving, that'd be great. But instead, Jesus gives us this amazing parable in order to show us what this law, love your neighbor as yourself, is really all about. He says that a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem, you know, was on a, a hill. It was 3,000 feet above sea level, which in the ancient Near East is, is a mountain. It was high. Jericho was 17 miles away, only 17 miles away, but Jericho was 1,000 feet below sea level. So you can imagine how steep that road was going down to Jericho. And it was covered by uh, mountains, and there were caves and rocks and boulders all along that road. And as the, the travelers would go down that road, it was a perfect opportunity for robbers to hide behind the boulders and in the caves and that rocky terrain. So the road was called the Bloody Way because it was so dangerous to travel. It'd be like walking down a really dark alley in the worst part of our city except that the nearest street light was miles away. And this man, who's obviously a Jewish man from the context of J Jesus' story, gets brutally attacked and he's robbed and he's beaten up and left for dead. So a priest and a Levite happen to be traveling along the Jericho Road and they both pass on the far side of the road going 
right around this man who's laying in a pool of his own blood. And before we're too hard on the priest and the Levite, just remember that we would all probably do the same thing. If you're walking down a dark alley, okay, somewhere in, in, a, in a, not a nice part of town, maybe you, are, you know, find yourself in the part of the Bronx, and you, you go for some great pizza out there, you're taking the, the subway, and now the subways aren't running, and you, you're cutting through a, a dark alley, and you see some guy who's groaning and who's half dead, and he's beaten up on the side of the alley, I'd probably run away too, okay? I'd probably say, this is a problem for the police, and I would go run and call the police. But these guys were also religious leaders who served in the, the temple on a daily basis. This guy looked half dead, and, and you know, touching a dead person uh, was against the Jewish law. It would make you ceremonially unclean for a week, which meant you were out of work for a week. That meant you didn't eat. And that also, I'm sure they're they thought of their higher calling was more important. Oh, I can't touch him. I've got to serve the people of God in the temple. That's what the Lord would have me do. Again, this is a heart issue, right? Instead of obeying their purpose as ministers of God's mercy, these guys both let their work overcome their true calling and their purpose. The priests and the Levites were supposed to take the lead in helping God's people show mercy to the, the poor and to those who were hurting. Priests were actually supposed to be public health officials. They were supposed to help keep things healthy in the camps and in the, the towns. And the Levites were actually the people in charge of distributing alms to the poor. And they forgot their purpose and they walked on the far side of the road. You know, they're so focused on their daily routines of religious ceremonies and duties that they forgot their purpose, to meet the needs of those that they encounter and to heal their hurts. You know, most Jewish people hearing this parable would have at this point in the story expected a Jewish lay person to show up. Maybe Jesus is slamming the clerical system of the temple. Those Levites, those guys are so lazy and they don't work really hard. Like me, I just work one day a week, right? And that's all we do is as pastors, and maybe he's about to say the layperson was the hero, but it was truly shocking what he did. He introduces a Samaritan into the story. Some of you know what this entails here. A Samaritan shows up and see his lifelong sworn enemy, a Jew, who's beaten up on the side of this scary road. It's a dangerous situation. The robbers could still be close by, and it and the Samaritans were the sworn enemies of the Jews. Samaria was that area just north of Judea where, you know, the old uh, Israel northern kingdom used to be. And when the Assyrians came in in 722 and, and wiped out the, the northern kingdom of Israel, they purposefully brought in a bunch of foreigners and had them intermarry with the Jewish people who were still left there just to break the, the racial uh, purity of God's people on purpose. And so they had this mixed race called Samaritans that were hated by both Jews and non-Jews because they were half Jews, which was almost worse than being not Jewish at all. When the Jews want to insult Jesus in the worst way possible, they call him a demon-possessed Samaritan. Look at John chapter 8, verse 47. Jesus says to the Jews, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you don't hear them is because you're not of God. 
The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> the worst insult they could come up with to discredit Jesus. And, and the worst thing they say is first, you're a Samaritan. Oh, and by the way, you have a demon too. Tim Keller says that the Samaritan would not have only been expected to step over or step around the Jewish guy laying in the street, but he would have been taught his whole life to step on him as he traveled down the road to Jericho. I love Clarence Jordan's southern paraphrase of the Bible, the Cotton Patch Gospel. We have a few copies in our library here. If you hadn't read it, it's, it's a fascinating paraphrase of the New Testament Jordan was a Baptist pastor in Georgia in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And in his version of, the, of this story, he says that a man was driving down the highway from Atlanta to Albany, Georgia, and he gets carjacked and robbed and, and beaten up. And a white pastor comes driving down the highway and sees him and sped on by. And then a white music minister comes by. And when he shows up, he just steps on the gas and goes by. And then, Jordan says, a black man traveling that way, came upon the fellow, and what he saw moved him to tears. He showed compassion and mercy. That was published in 1969 in Georgia. Shocking statement. And maybe you had a neighbor that you love. It's easy to love neighbors that you love. When we lived in Franklin, we had some great neighbors who we loved to just order pizza and hang out with on Friday and watch football or watch Predators games or whatever. We just really, they had a kid that was near our kid's age and they would play together all the time and, and that was a lot of fun. However, our first house that we ever lived in was in Birmingham and our neighbors directly across the street had their own business. They rented out trained homing pigeons that for a couple hundred dollars you could order and they would bring them to your event. You know, maybe it's birthday or wedding or picnic, and, and they would release these white homing pigeons in this beautiful display, and they would go up and circle around, and they'd come back, and they would uh, come back to their house across the street from our house. This was unincorporated Jefferson County, so just outside the city limits of Mountain Brook, and that would have been, that would have been fine. It was kind of cool to see him come back in, except for the owner of the business tried to protect his investment, so what was the threat to his investment were the hawks that lived nearby. So he would quite illegally stand on his driveway with a 12-gauge shotgun and take pot shots at the hawks as they came by as his pigeons were out flying. We had an infant son at the time. So hearing a 12-gauge shotgun rattle the windows of our home at all hours of the day while our new baby was trying to sleep was not so great. It's easy to love great neighbors. But Jesus expands our understanding of what a neighbor is with this story. It's not just the fun people who live next door. It's not even the guy with the shotgun on the curb 20 feet from your house. It's anyone that we come across who may present a need to be met or a hurt to be healed. I love how Jesus turns the question on this guy. The lawyer wanted to trap Jesus, but Jesus ends up trapping him in a trap of compassion and love. The lawyer wants Jesus to narrow down exactly who his neighbor is so he could actually fulfill the law, but Jesus blows it up. Instead of asking, who is my neighbor, Jesus gets us to ask the right question with this story. To whom can I be a neighbor? 
It's not about who do I have to love? It's about finding the opportunities to love everyone that we cross paths with in the way that Jesus would. It's about finding opportunities to love those who need it the most. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, Barry Minter, a longtime member of this church and did Boy Scouts here in the fellowship hall. I went to Hillsborough High School. He, he told us a life-changing story. He was on a trip to Memphis and out of nowhere, this homeless lady is pushing a cart across the road. Normally he would have said, oh, you know, maybe God, please help that woman or something. But he was moved by compassion and he got out of his car and he said, what can I do to help you? She said, take me to a motel. I haven't had a shower in a month. And he said, okay. <laughs> and she said, I gotta go pick up some stuff. He said, okay. And drove her to this abandoned building where she and several homeless people were living. And she got her dog. And he was like, this is nuts. This is not what I signed up for. And brought her dog into Barry's nice car. And he drove her to a hotel and got her a room. And he didn't get a chance to, I don't know, he didn't say if he shared the gospel with her or if she became a Christian or anything. But there was another man who saw him do this and saw him show this act of mercy. And he said, are you a pastor? Because only pastors do that, right? <laughs> You're all called to ministry. Don't forget that. And he said, no, I'm not a pastor. And the guy said, well, you obviously are a man of God for doing this. I, I'm having a liver transplant tomorrow, and I want you to pray for me. And Barry sat down and witnessed to him, shared the gospel of Jesus with this man because he had observed his act of compassion. You see, evangelism and ministry are very closely related, aren't they? Right? When we serve as the hands and feet of Jesus, we are finding those opportunities to bring heaven to earth and make it more like heaven and here and less like hell. I think we often think about how much it costs to help others and to minister. You may say, I have young kids, or I'm just not in a place in my life where I can really help people like that. But I know Barry received more out of that experience of giving than he ever could have imagined. It was worth the cost times 100. The Samaritan who lived a generous life of ministering to the needs of others was surely more happy and more blessed than the stingy priest and Levite who passed on the other side of the road too concerned about getting blood on their robes. God wants us to minister to others, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the best way to live. It's the best way to flourish. God wants us to live selflessly and joyfully. So will you answer the call to live like this today? Just as Jesus said to the lawyer, you go and do likewise, so he calls each of us to show mercy to those who we encounter on our path each and every day. If Woodmont Baptist Church is going to be the kind of church that God intended for it to be, if we're going to build up this body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, then we must learn to love our neighbors well. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that all of our expectations, that all of our human effort and striving just gets blown up in the face of grace. I thank you that you have not abandoned us to try to be good enough on our own, but that you in your grace and in your mercy have forged a way for us 
to enter into eternal life. I pray, oh God, that if there's someone here who has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would have their hearts open to your gospel truth this morning. God, I thank you for this story of who it is that we are supposed to love. It's not just the fun people who live next door, God, but we are called to love everyone with a radical, selfless, sacrificial kind of love. God, I pray that you would help us to, to learn to love others well. I know there's several people here today too, God, who don't love themselves well. I pray that you would help them to understand that you have made them precious in your sight and they are more loved than they could ever have dared to dream because you love them with an undying, dogged, determined, never-ending kind of love that will never let go. Lord, I pray that we would love others in that way because you first loved us. May our love for neighbors be evidence of the love that you have poured into our hearts through Jesus Christ. God, I know that I've been guilty of uh, being annoyed by bad neighbors or being frustrated with people that I don't like very much. God, help me to remember that they are my neighbor and you have asked me, you have called me, you've gifted me, equipped me to love them as I love myself. Help me to get over my own interest and put the interest of others ahead. Lord, forgive us for not loving you with our whole hearts, our whole minds, our whole souls, our whole strength. Help us to love our neighbors well. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Instead of trusting in Jesus' uh, ability, the, the lawyer trusted in his own ability, we're going to sing, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, not in ourselves. As we do so, I invite you to come to, to pray at the altar, to pray with, with Trey, to pray with Jan, to pray with Brad, if, pray with me, whatever you want to pray with. If you want to just come kneel at the altar, I know there's a lot of hurts and anxieties going on in all of our lives, and, and we need to pray. Uh, if you want to become a member of Woodmont Baptist Church and join this family of faith, I'd love to talk with you about being a member. Maybe you've accepted Christ into your heart, but you've never done what Davy did and went under the waters of baptism, and you're ready to say, I need to follow Jesus' example of believer's baptism and go under the water today and show the world that I am a new creation, walking in a whole new kind of life. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you just want to come talk to me today about what that looks like. Maybe you feel the, the hound of heaven has been pursuing you all this time, and the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, and you want to make that decision. Whatever it is that you need to do during this time, let's stand and sing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'"